What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney Nathan Lotka was CEO and founder at heyo.com at 19 years old after selling $70,000 worth of Facebook campaigns from his dorm room he dropped out of college and has since raved over 2.5 million dollars from a Forbes billionaire while supporting over 250,000 small business owners as they look to capture emails and drive sales from Facebook. He hosts The Top, which is a business podcast where he has interviewed over 500 of the world's top CEOs, ranging from General Catalyst partner Adam Valken to Wealthfront CEO Andy Ratcliffe. Nathan never holds back his opinion and he certainly isn't afraid to tell you about his success. He might rub some people the wrong way, but he definitely provides some valuable insights to people looking to grow their business. Nathan Latka, are you ready to take us to the top? Sean, what's up, man? I'm ready to rock and roll. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. There's that energy we love to hear. So we want to know, how did Nathan get started as an entrepreneur? Yeah, well, look, I mean, first off, it started, you know, many, many years ago when I realized nobody was hiring architects and I was a college <laughs> student at Virginia Tech. So, you know, a lot has happened since then. And Sean, I'm actually curious, um, before I kind of dive into that story, how did you come across what I was producing or the content I was putting out? Uh, I think I was a huge podcast junkie. I want to say in 2015, I might've come across you on someone else's podcast. And I was like, who the hell is this guy with the energy you were bringing, the fire you were spitting, your mindset? I loved it. So I started listening to your, uh, your podcast as well. And now, you know, I sell companies for, you know, millions of dollars. And then I turn around and get in a big fight with Michael Stelzner because I don't like how he runs his conference. So you know <laughs> that I can be dangerous sometimes. Why have me on the show? Uh, because I think the actionable takeaways I've taken away from you and in little things you do, even something as simple as using Boomerang uh, for how you send your emails, I've learned a lot from you. So I thought my listeners could as well. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Well, well, so the beginning of the story, man, I could go into all kinds of specific things. Um, is there a specific question you've got about how I started? Or you just want me to give you the overall story? Yeah, I was thinking a quick two to three minute recap of kind of how you got started and we'll go from there. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was 2011. I was studying architecture at Virginia Tech uh, and quickly learned nobody was hiring architects, which was a problem because nobody loves money as much as Nathan Latka. <laughs> and I'm extremely competitive. So I said, I've got to do something where I can make money and beat people because I like winning. And so that's when I got into learning something called FBML, which is Facebook markup language. And I started selling custom Facebook fan pages for 700 bucks a pop when I was still in my dorm room, you know, wearing Christmas boxers, you know, surviving on ramen and, you know, failing grades. Right. So grew that company, did about 70 grand in pre-sales, just sitting in my PayPal account and then got lazy because I didn't want to actually code everyone's pages. So I used the entrepreneurial club at Virginia tech, brought in two technical co-founders, gave them 40% of the company, which was probably too much. I wasn't as good at deals now or back then as I am now, I would never have given up that much. But did that, raised two and a half million bucks of venture capital, built a subscription platform that people could pay 30 to 300 bucks a month for to drag and drop together their own Facebook pages, grew it to about 10,000 monthly paying customers. When we did our last round of funding, we were valued, about, valued at about 10.5 million bucks. And then I turned around and sold that for a great price in 2016 before jumping into what I am in now. So how old were you in 2016? I would have been, let's see, I am 28 today. So I was 26 years old. Nice little payday when you're 26. So you mentioned the 70 grand in pre-sales. What was the thought strategy with that? Well, I'm lazy. Look, I think rich people are, you know, the reason rich people are rich is because they're lazy. They find their, the, the easiest way to do something with all the shortcuts so they can go keep being lazy, but then they get addicted to the win. They keep finding new board games to win. So they're never actually have downtime. It's kind of funny how that works, but 
for me, pre-selling was the lazy way to do it. Why on earth would I go out and actually learn to code before knowing if people would pay me for it? And so that's why I pre-sold. It was a simple PayPal checkout button. Once I had 70 grand in pre-sales, I watched about 100 hours of YouTube videos, taught myself to code, and started executing from there. So, I mean, so you mentioned you're lazy. I kind of see that as you're protecting your downside there, right? You're getting those pre-orders prior to implementing the product. Careful, don't be calling me lazy. We're only three minutes into the show. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that was, I mean, look, that was the thinking. Uh, there's, there's a lot of very stupid people, right, that are launching companies that wait a year, two years, three years to release their product and make the first sale. I mean, you couldn't be stupider. It's, it's just a dumb way to launch a company. And people will say, oh, well, it's not ready yet. And it's unethical to sell it early. No, you just probably are not good at selling it earlier, early. So you say it's not ethical. It's just baloney. You better get good at selling your product and you better get good at selling it when it doesn't even exist yet. That way, you know, you can sell it when it actually does exist. No, I love that thought process. But how did you implement that when you were so young? I mean, most 20 year olds don't even think about that. Well, it's, sim I mean, look, I said, who's a buyer of my product? And Sean, I don't know if you've Googled, Googled me or looked at my Instagram or any pictures, but I have a big, beautiful comb over and cougars <laughs> love it. Cougars <laughs> love the Nathan like a comb over. So I said, I'm going to use this to my advantage. A lot of cougars are in social media marketing. So I started looking and hunting for women, you know, between the ages of, you know, 30 and 60 that had fan pages that called themselves an executive. The first one that I found was Carrie Wilkerson. Now she is not a cougar, by the way, but I thought she was, but she's not. She's married with many, many kids and very happy. But her company page was called the Barefoot Executive. That's how I found her. I got her phone number. I picked up the phone. I said, Carrie, you call yourself an executive, but you don't have this new thing called an executive Facebook fan page. And, and I said, so are you actually an executive? And she said, what are you talking about? Yes, I'm an executive. What's this fan page thing? So I instantly made the conversation about her asking me. She's she's now asking me basically to sell her a product. It's funny how that works. And I started telling her how everyone has these new executive pages, which by the way, I made that name up, but I think that was really <laughs> smart, right? It's called branding, right? It's branding 101. And so I she eventually said, yeah, I'm interested. I gave her a discount because she's one of my first sales. She sent me essentially 300 bucks via PayPal. And that was the start. That's how it worked. So you seem like a pretty natural born salesman. Were you like this as a kid? I just like getting what I want. And if I want money, the way you get money is by making sales. And it requires you to understand how to make anybody happy, which means you have to almost be a chameleon and mirror who they are and what they are. You have to know something about a lot of things so you can have any conversation with any person. This is very difficult to do, but I'm very good at it. And I think you're exactly right. That's a lot of why I've had the success I've had. When did you first develop that mindset? Were you a young kid just thinking differently? It wasn't intentional. I can't huh. go back and, and look at a date and say, I read this book or did this that made me think like that. I mean, I asked my mom about this before and she said, well, Nathan, one of the things your parents you know, did, which was her and obviously my dad, when I was young, was they would never tell me no. What they would do instead is they'd give me a choice. So if I'd say, mom, I wanna go out to the movies with friends, she would say, well, Nathan, you know, we were all gonna go out to a family dinner tomorrow, and if you spend some of uh, that money, like, cause the, he, obviously I wanted money from them, to go out with friends tonight, we're not gonna do a family dinner tomorrow. So which would you prefer, a family dinner or going out with friends? So she would always make me make a decision, not give me a yes or no answer. And I think there's something to be said for that because it teaches you about debate 
it teaches you about opportunity cost. And so for any parents listening right now, I'd encourage you to practice that with your kids. Instead of saying no, force them, you know, give them two options and force them to think critically about making a decision. Oh, that's some awesome advice right there. I mean, you seem like you're constantly consuming knowledge. You a big reader? I do. I read a lot. What's your reading pattern like? Uh, as frequently as I can. Um, <laughs> I mean, I just, I just finished Ted Turner's uh, biography, which was, you know, Ted Turner created CNN, then made a huge mistake in, in doing a deal with Time Warner, which ultimately buried him once Time Warner did a big deal with Steve Case and AOL. And Steve basically threw him under the bus. And then eventually Rupert Murdoch got involved. And now obviously Murdoch is back in the news because he's selling a big stake of what he's built to Disney, but keeping Fox and Fox competed with Turner CNN. So I love reading biographies written by the founders themselves. I think that's the quickest way to decode what made them successful. Do you do full immersion with that? So say you read a biography like Ted Turner's, are you doing what he's doing or do you just like hearing his thought process? Well, business is patterns. You know, people are, it's a, a very ignorant person might think that ideas are new today. They're not. Everything that's being created is following some pattern that was already established just with some different colors attached to it. And so it's your job to be able to go into any space or any experience, quickly decipher the pattern, the Lego block, that has been stacked on top of each other that makes that thing work. And the Lego block is the gold. How can you then use that Lego block, that lesson, that pattern in your business? I mean, did this pattern recognition, did this just come with time and experience or did you have this from a young age? The ability to pattern recognize? Correct. Well, I just think that's the most viable way to do things, right? The, 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 most, the most successful things in life are those that are simple to explain. And a lot of very powerful people, um, once they climb the ladder of success, they like to disguise that ladder so nobody else can climb it in the, in the form of complexity. You see this with a lot of dictators. Once they get in power, they then kill off people below them. They install bureaucracy to make it very hard for anyone else to climb that same ladder. And it's smart if you're trying to protect your position. But if you're trying to keep complexity out of the situation and build a big team, and create a lot of wealth for a lot of people, you've got to decipher patterns that the dumbest person can follow to create success and build wealth. And so that's what I like to do when I read these biographies. What's been your favorite biography? Oh gosh. Um, I mean, look, you know, Ted's is most frequent on my mind because I just finished it. So I would say his, I just, right now I'm finishing Rupert Murdoch's. Um, what, what happens with me is I don't force myself to like read books. I only read as I enjoy it. So what I mean by that is right now I'm reading Rupert Murdoch's biography, but you know, five other people's names were, were mentioned on page 36. So I'll then go on YouTube and search their names and watch those people speak to, to try and fill the characters in the book. And so my mind kind of bounces that way, but the book is the, is the river. And I kind of jump in and out of the river as I see fit based off what I'm enjoying reading, or if I'm get curious about something, I'll go explore it. That might not be in the book, things like that. And that's what helps me keep this web all weaved together. I like that exploration pattern. I mean, that's incredibly insightful that you do that and really dissect those different characters and can learn so much from all of those. I mean, when, when you're doing this, are you fully consumed in this book or are you speed reading it bits and nuggets? Are you taking notes, anything like that? Not taking notes typically, but I'll be doing some kind of marking of some kind. Um, and speed reading, yes, but your audience is going to go, oh, he's not actually reading if he's speed reading. No, 
actually patterns are very easy. Actually, patterns are more easily to pull out if you're speed reading versus you're reading in depth. I know it sounds weird, but when you're in depth, you get lost in the cobwebs. Um, when you do it at a kind of a higher level, you can actually see the patterns above the noise. So that's how I read. All right, very cool. One thing I wanna talk about, I wanna talk about Hey Yo, uh, the business obviously you built up and were en- able to sell. You talk about what you said to one of the investors uh, that forexed your sales price. You wanna talk about that? Yeah, so a lot of people are told when you're trying to sell a company, you have to be the pretty lady walking down the street that people are chasing. You can't ever be the pretty lady that goes up to somebody and hugs them, right? Or shows like that weakness. In other words, they say you have to be bought, not sold. And the problem is that pretty lady can be walking down the street for a thousand years and die before anyone chases them. So you have to figure out a way to put out a trap to get people to chase you. And so my trap, which by the way, I think this is maybe one of the most brilliant strategic moves ever by someone who was 21, 22, 23 years old <laughs> to get their company sold is I did the opposite. I, I got all the emails of the business development people at companies that were in our space. I put them in the BCC field and I send, I sent out what looked like an email blast to our customer base that said in the subject line, we're closing down. And then I give a big explanation in the email about why we're, you know, closing down. My thought process was, you know, I buy companies now, big companies. And when someone tells me they're shutting down, my mind starts buzzing with opportunities. I think, well, if they're shutting down, maybe there's some assets I can buy for cheap. I can get a good deal because they're in a weak position. So that logic worked for me back in the day. And what happened was many people I emailed that were shutting down wrote back as I predicted, right? And it worked against all conventional wisdom. It worked. And they said, Nathan, like, can we buy your customer list? Can we buy your email list? Can we buy your revenue stream? Can we buy the source code? Can we buy some assets since since you're shutting down anyway? That was the trap. And I said, sure, put together an LOI. It's called a letter of intent. That's the first step of the acquisition process. And so I got four LOIs and I wrote back to them. This was a Monday and I said, hey, John, you know, that's an interesting offer but it's not really competitive. Before I make a decision on if I'm gonna sell this, is this your best offer? And what do you guys think happened? Right, what do you you think happened? I got emails back from the four, and sorry, there were seven at the beginning. I got emails back from four that basically doubled their price just by me asking, is this your best price? And I said, Sean, my gosh, I should maybe use those words again. I just (laughs) got double as rich because of it. So I wrote back to those four. I said, it was like a Wednesday now. So I'm making a decision on Friday who I'm going to sell these assets to. You're still not in a competitive offer. So I said, is this the best offer? Is this the best offer, right? Are you sure it's your best offer? And what do you think happened? It's not what you'd expect. Two wrote back and said, fuck you basically, right? And I said, okay, didn't work so hot. The other two wrote back and doubled their offer, which was great because you can only sell to one person anyway. So yeah. you can piss some people off in the process. And so that's what we did. We picked one company was called Votigo, V-O-T-I-G-O. They bought the company. It's still up at heyo.com. They got it. It was a great deal for everybody. It's a big part of their company now. And you know now it's making them much richer as well because it's such a great business. So it was a good thing for everybody. And it's a great way to forex your deal multiple. You know, It started them offering a price that I would never accept because it was so low. 
But once their egos were involved, I was able to quadruple the price, and that's how it works. Yeah, no, awesome story. Great way of doing something simple that really showed an amazing return. You mentioned kind of now what you're doing when you're buying businesses. By the way, Sean, why don't why don't people do that? Why don't you know every book you read from like the smartest Wharton negotiators will say, look at your BATNA, which is your best alternative to a negotiated agreement, and do all this other stuff, and. No one ever says to do what I did, but what I did worked so well. Why do you think they don't teach this? Because they don't like confrontation. You think that's it? I do. I, I think you're unbelievable at confrontation. You're not afraid to say anything. And so that doesn't, you don't get blinders on where people look to go to the easy route, even in something that could be as beneficial as forexing their return on selling their business. You, you don't, you don't, you're not concerned with that. You're willing to have those tough conversations. That's how I interpret that. Interesting. I wonder if that's a good or bad thing. I don't know. I mean, for, for you and, and how you're approaching your business, I think it's a great thing. For someone well, else, I, I mean, anyone who's doing it. So I, that part's working. <laughs> I mean, your ego, you, you, let's talk about that because you definitely don't hold back on your ego. How is your I ego? Have no, I have no ego, Sean. I'm the most <laughs> humble person you're ever going to meet. Well, let's talk about how your ego has helped you. <laughs> uh, look, I think I have a beautiful <laughs> ego. Look, the thing about my ego is it's a weapon. And it's a damn good weapon because I have no self-confident issues. You know, there are there are seven billion people in the world, and if, and if you piss somebody off asking for what you want, fine, they weren't your right partner anyway. But you don't want to waste. You know, I have so many friends; they waste their days hanging out with just stupid people that don't make them smarter, they don't make them richer, they don't make them happier. But they're stuck because they like routine. And maybe some of your listeners right now are going, "Oh, I'm actually stuck in a routine," and the people I hang out with are. Don't have as much money as me. They're, 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 you know, I like being the wealthiest of my friends because it helps my ego. I just, I use my ego as a weapon. And, and here's what I mean by that. Like, let's say I'm negotiating. This actually happened recently. I bought a company and I said, listen, I'm willing to pay X. You want Y. And I said this, this is what I said. I'm going to make up the CEO's name. Let's call him Shane. I said, Shane, Listen, I have a big ego and I get upset when I look bad. Give me something that I can go back to my investors and say, I made you make a great deal with me. Right? So I use, I'm using my ego and, and, and pointedly saying, Shane, give me something to boost my ego so I feel good about telling my investors about this and it makes me look good. Help me save – like you can use it to your advantage to make you wealthier, and that's exactly what happened. He said, fine, I'll come down on my price a little bit. We'll get a deal done. You go tell all your investors that you got a cheaper price, makes you look good, and boom, boom, you create a win-win-win. That's how you use your ego to your advantage. Yeah, no, that's a great way to implement it. You mentioned kind of the people you're surrounding yourself with. Who are those types of people? What are you looking for? So I appreciate the question, but I, I just – I think that's the wrong question because everyone will – your audience has heard this before, right? Surround yourself with the best people, blah, blah, blah. What's actually difficult is getting rid of someone when you realize they're not helping. You're past where you want to be. I mean, this might be someone you've hung out with for years. You've had friends giving, you know, over Thanksgiving with them. You've sent them Christmas cards. How do you just, like a cold-hearted son of a gun, cut them off because they're not playing at a game that's higher than you? That's actually the hardest thing to do. And you have to have such a cold heart and you have to be so disconnected to do that. I mean, this is why the average person is in debt and broke. The average person is poor because the average person can't cut people off that are poor. I mean, I hate saying it like that, but that's how it works. No, I appreciate you redirecting that. And I mean, another thing, you are not afraid of confrontation there. You love having those conversations. So you will eliminate these people out of your lives where I think the average listener is afraid to do that. Yeah, look, I mean, it's the same 
people reach out all the time saying, Nathan, let us pay you a quarter of a million bucks to sponsor the podcast. And I say, well, what's your, what are you willing to pay to acquire a customer? And they say X. And I say, no, you can't sponsor the show because I'm not going to be able to drive you that many customers. So it's not going to work. You know what happens when I say that every single time, Sean, they come back and beg to sponsor the show. It doesn't make any freaking sense. But what it comes down to, and I never let them, by the way, they'll increase their price. They'll say, okay, here's 300,000, 400. I say, no, 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 because they're not going to get a return. And I want people paying me to then get addicted to me. So they keep paying me. See, if they pay me half a million bucks and I didn't give them a return, they'd stop at the end. I now have sponsors that pay me well over a million bucks because I keep giving them great returns. And you start adding many sponsors together, you start building a big company. And before you know it, I'm going to have a media company that's much bigger than Forbes, Bloomberg, and many of these other companies. So you have to learn how to tell people no, whether that's cutting people out of your life or saying no to customers that you know aren't a good fit. So I mean, the media companies, that's your next game? Well, I think it's not smart for me to tell st people strategically what I'm doing because life is war. You have enemies and you have allies. And the second your enemies know what your war lines are, they know where to attack. So in that regard, I would much rather be a sphere with no edges than a square with clearly defined edges that can easily be attacked. So there are many things that I'm working on that people would have no idea that I'm working on. And they look at me and they go, how is he making so much money? You would never be able to figure it out because I barely know. I mean, that <laughs> You always just want to have multiple income streams. So media is happening to do very well. People say I do great with media. You look at my Facebook page and my last video got 1.2 million views. So I'm doing something with media that's quite unbelievable. But I will also tell you, I'm buying and selling SaaS companies. I just sold my friend's SaaS company for many millions of dollars to my other friend. And I take a big cut in between because it was a great deal for everybody. So there are some many you know, major banks that are begging, I mean, you should see the email, Sean, they're begging me to join their M&A teams at their companies because they love getting, you know, a 3% fee on a $400 million deal because that's how Goldman and these big banks make a lot of money. And I just say, no, I do it myself. So I'm making money many ways. I got, I think one of the largest book deals from Random House of any first time 27 year old author. And, uh, I mean, look, I have to be careful because people listen and go, oh, this person made a cent more than you and he was, you know, one day younger than you. But I mean, it was a huge book advance for somebody that failed high school English. When's the book and, coming out? Yeah, the book will come out in Q1 of 2019. We are writing it right now. And I have to tell you, you know, my full financials are in the book. Um, it's going to be a tell-all. It's going to be very interesting. I talk about the greatest deal I ever made, which is going to surprise people because it had to do with my parents. Um, it's going to be a great book. But my point is, it's not always good for everyone to know how you make money because that puts you at a big disadvantage in terms of life and war. Today, what got you there is being fueled by Soniva Super Coffee. Soniva provides an organic bottled coffee blended with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil for all-day energy. Grab a bottle at your local Whole Foods market or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. As someone who's always looking for ways to improve my mental and physical performance, I started using Four Sigmatic about a year ago and I love their products. At Four Sigmatic, they believe in the real magic of functional mushrooms like reishi, chaga, cordyceps, and lion's mane, as well as other superfoods and adaptogens to help us live healthier, more enhanced lives. 
Everyone's talking about Four Sigmatic, including Time Magazine, Vogue, Forbes, even the New York Times. My favorite product is their convenient new Brain Stick Pack. Perfect before a workout or a study session, their dual mushroom blend supports memory attention and brain health. I also have been using their cordyceps before workouts and love the results. I've experienced the benefits of these delicious packets, but now it's time for you to as well. To receive 15% off your order, use discount code WGYT at checkout at foursigmatic.com or by heading to foursigmatic.com forward slash WGYT. No, I got you. All right. So you talk about buying some new companies. It's one of the asset classes you're doing right now. What are you specifically looking for in a company? Are there certain things that if you see this in a company, no chance you're buying it? And there are certain things that if you see, you're more inclined to purchase it? Um, This depends. I mean, the reason I buy companies is because I see something strategic I can do with it that the current leadership is not executing on. And so that's one of the reasons I like buying old media companies is because they're just not efficient. They're going out of business. Meredith just paid $1.8 billion for time when time was, you know, valued much more than that recently. So what the hell is happening? Well, old media is dying. I mean, it's just as simple as that. So I have a playbook that I run and I try and buy these kinds of companies. So generally speaking, I'm only really buying software as a service company. So software companies who sell plans to customers where the customers are paying every single month. I'm not talking some stupid membership site where you have 50% of your customers churning every month. I'm talking software where less than 2% of your customers churn every month. They're paying you, you know, in terms of lifetime value, five, 10, 20 grand, maybe in some cases. And depending on churn and ARPU and CAC and LTV to CAC ratio, payback periods, growth channels, you know, I'll pay a multiple as little as, you know, well, between Sean, you're in your audience. I mean, I've, I have been paid to acquire a company before because of a liability attached to the company that I renegotiated before I did the deal. So I essentially got paid a lot of money to acquire the company, take the revenue, take the customers, and basically renegotiate this liability. So I've gotten companies for as little as them paying me a lot of money all the way up to, you know, two or three X annual recurring revenue based on what the company is doing, what space they're in. Did you have someone you were working with for this deal structure? Or, I mean, is this all self-learned? You can't see me right now, but I'm pointing to my brain. I just get, I get really creative and that's what works. So then how do you create momentum in your life? It seems like you've got a lot of things going on right now. What, I don't understand the question. No, I mean, you've got, so sorry, you've got so many different things going on. And so you're creating these positive energies with all of them and it's all benefiting you and you're having multiple revenue streams. How do you create that? How do you stay balanced with all these different things? How do you even stay abreast of all of it? Well, I'm making a lot of other people very rich too, just not as rich as me. Right. So like, I mean, that's part of what I enjoy doing. Um, Honestly, you know, I put a lot of my goals and intentions out there. And so in terms of staying abreast of things, they find me. I mean, someone might listen to this podcast that has a company they want to sell. They're not, they're now going to reach out to me and ask if, you know, I'd value it and potentially buy the company. So like by putting some of this intentional stuff out there, it actually attracts the resources I need to execute those strategies. And that's half the battle. So what are some of those big audacious goals you have out there right now? Well, I'm going to build the largest private equity firm in the world, which means I need to have about a quarter of a trillion dollars in assets under management, um, or at least committed funds. Uh, I'm studying Robert Smith at Vista Equity Partners right now to watch how he's done that. I think he's a genius. Um, and I hope to do what he's done times 10, which is a big thing because he's probably the 
I mean, he is the largest buyer of software companies in the world. They have 28 billion under management. They bought Marketo for $1.8 billion. They bought Cbent for $1.2 billion. I think they'll probably buy Infusionsoft here very soon for a, a, somewhere around 800 or $900 million. So large private equity firm. I think politics is unbelievable right now. Uh, if I have to, I will run for president of the United States and I will win and it will be a very easy victory for many reasons, which I can, I can break down later, but politics is interesting. Uh, the book I want to be and sell the most books that any single author in the business category has ever sold. And I've got a plan to do that. And that's going to be exciting. So there, are, I mean, there are many things like this. And when I put them out there, people reach out to me and say, I want to help you do that. And I figured out a way to comp them. And then boom, we work together at, the, at those goals. You mentioned running for president, the current president right now, when he was running, he, I think he did some things brilliantly with his presentations. Anything that you took away from what he did uh, during the campaign trail? Um, yeah, Donald Trump is a, is a really obviously great marketer, but what people, what people don't understand Trump, Trump understands how to say something, the same thing in a way where if you took five different people who hear it, they'll hear something different. So for example, he'll say something like this. I can't say that I'm racist because that would be wrong, but I don't support what's happening in Charlottesville. Now, if you already don't like the guy, you're going to read that headline on CNN and go, he's racist. If you love the guy, you're going to say, no, he said he can't say that he's racist. He said he's not racist, right? Those are literally two different audiences taking the exact opposite meaning from the same phrase. Donald Trump was a master at saying the same phrase and allowing whatever audience consume the phrase to make it mean what that audience wants, to either love him or hate him. And that's his genius. And in my opinion, it's very, very smart. And you see what he's doing now. And people get all up in a fiddle because they can't put their blinders down. Trump is so polarizing. You either love him or hate him and you choose to see everything he does through that love or hate veil. But look at what he's doing with North Korea, okay, for a second, okay? My button's bigger than your button in terms of the new in terms of a nuclear war. Okay. People who hate him go, oh my God, this guy's crazy. He's an idiot. He's a child. Why would you ever trust him with the nuclear codes? People that love him are going, yeah, freaking put this North Korean idiot in his place. Everything in, in the United States is bigger. Everything's better in America. Everything's bigger and better, and we're we're winning, right? Like what people don't understand is he says these things for two reasons. One to cater to his base, but two. It takes, you know, media only has 24 hours in a day to cover a story. If he can fill that with shit that doesn't matter, it it allows him to keep things that might he might actually see as a threat, like a Russia investigation, off the headlines, which only helps him. So, so I mean, these are just I'm, I'm kind of spewing here, but these are different lessons I'm taking from him, and it's very smart doing what he's doing. You know, moving the capital to Jerusalem creates additional leverage for him in many other negotiations in terms of peace in the Middle East and other things. And people, I think, don't always appreciate moves he's making that seem irrational where there, I believe there actually is rationality to it. So what's your calendar like? I mean, you had big plans here, private equity, running for president, book release, all of these different things. Is it constantly booked up? Blank. Love Billionaires it. have blank calendars. Warren Buffett has a blank calendar. You know why? People with no money have to worry about collecting an hourly wage to pay for dinner for their family that night. 
their book solid because they have to be. The reason billionaires get rich is because they purposely keep a blank calendar, which allows them to act faster than anybody else because they already have all their material bases covered. They have food, they have all that stuff. So when someone hears that Peter Thiel has gone all in on crypto in the middle of the day yesterday, someone with some money could immediately take advantage of that and maybe go in as well before the market has realized the upside versus someone that's working a nine to five job is never gonna have that same opportunity because they're focused on putting things on the table that night. So I, my point is, Sean, I try and keep a blank calendar so I can take advantage of things that happen real time because speed always wins. And if you have a full-time job, you're slow. Were you able to do that when you were a 21-year-old entrepreneur starting that business? No. I mean, I was taking, and I, I mean, I think in my class, first off, I had a 4.0 GPA in the architecture program at Tech, which go look it up. It was ranked the number one architecture program in the country above all the big Ivy Leagues, Cornell, Yale, Harvard, above all of them. Four, so a perfect GPA, the best architecture school in the country, you know, I was taking a ridiculous amount of credit hours, I think 18 or 21, an unbelievable amount because my architecture, you know, department didn't know that I was doubling in business and business didn't know I was doubling in architecture. I had classes, Sean, that were happening at the same time. There was no way I was going to attend both of them. But you know what? I figured out a way to do it because I didn't want to spend four years in college. So my point is back then, no, my schedule was packed because I had shit I had to deal with that I didn't want to deal with like school. Now, everything I do is focused on how can I get lazier free up more of my calendar so I can react real time. And that's how you make a lot of money. This is incredible. I love this. So at the door, I just bought this new place as an Airbnb investment in East Austin, paid 420 grand for it, three bedroom, three bath. But I only put 3% down because I'm living here, but I'm going to Airbnb it. And I'm basically going to make cash flow on it. This guy with his mom is walking around saying, because his mom is Spanish and doesn't speak English. And this was this young boy. He was probably 16 years old, said, Hey, my mom lives close. We do cleaning services. He's literally going door to door knocking. I looked at him and I said, you're going to be very successful because you know how to hustle. And he smiled. I love that. That's awesome. So investing in real estate as well. I know we were just hitting on crypto, but I know you've been doing real estate in the past. So you just made a purchase now? Yeah, actually. So I just did this deal in East Austin, Texas. Uh, great deal. I mean, I buy the place for 420 and it's immediately appraised at 460. So there's 40 grand in value just created like that. I only got this deal because I reacted very quickly when one of my real estate friends said it was available. And I said, yes, in the instant and bought it. Um, but yeah, I do real estate like crazy because it's a nice hedge to all the software stuff I'm doing. Gotcha. Any particular industries within real estate? I think I I heard you mention in the past, you're looking at hostels. You still doing that? Yeah. So I have many investments in hostel chains. I like the space because I think 10 years from now, uh, folks between col that just graduate college, but before they're married, they hate the idea of committing to 12 months of rent in one spot. They value freedom of movement. And so if I own a hundred hostels, I need, by the way, these are like luxury. These aren't like European hostels with drugs on the floor and you get like raped in the middle of the night. These are like nice hostels. Okay. Luxury. Uh, if I have a hundred of them in the United States, basically people could pay me a membership fee of a grand per month for 30 bed nights. And they could then travel and just choose to use those bed nights at whichever hostel they want. I think that's the future. So that's why I'm investing in hostels. That's a brilliant idea there. How do you how do you differentiate or allocate your different asset allocations? Oh, man. Um, Is there any real big thought process going into that? Well, I make obviously my own 
decisions, but some things that have influenced that. David Swenson, who runs Yale's endowment fund, I think does a great job talking about how he thinks about asset allocation. Uh, there are six different classes. I won't get into it now, but the book that I learned this from is called Unconventional Success, which no one ever reads because it's one of these indie books, but it's genius and it's how I model my asset allocation, my portfolio theory, generally 30% in real estate, 30% in domestic stocks, then another 10% in foreign emerging markets, 15% in foreign developed markets, then tips, it's a treasury inflation protected bond basically to hedge inflation and then bonds as well. Um, and so, and then what I do is I basically put all that in one pie and then on this, in a second pie, I have stuff related to money that I play with in the software world. So that's generally how I allocate. I'm going to have to pick that book up tonight because he's an absolute genius when it comes to allocations there. Uh, we kind of got cut off before when you were talking about crypto. So are you investing in them right now? Yes, I do. I'm invested in cryptocurrencies. I have interviewed Charlie Lee, the founder of Litecoin. You can see that interview on YouTube. It was it was a huge hit because I asked him why he sold all of his Litecoin. I asked him what his salary was when he was working at Coinbase, which is a big exchange in the space. I've also interviewed the founder of Ethereum and many others on my podcast, The Top Entrepreneurs, and I like the space. Now, what's hysterical to me, I'm putting money in the space that I don't care about. It's money that I'm gonna lose. Like, I'm in my brain, I've already lost it. So if something happens good to it, wonderful. It's a nice surprise. But I like the concept of blockchain. I like the concept of a monetary system that is not owned by anyone because, quite frankly, money is power and dumb people hoard it. And I don't want dumb people to have control of me like the government. So generally speaking, I like blockchain for those reasons. All right, I got you. You mentioned leaving your calendar completely open. What's a typical day like for you? Well, well like, let me open today, right? So today, right before this call, I had a call with a software CEO who's doing you know, up in New York, who's doing about 8 million bucks a year in revenue. He wants to either raise $10 million uh, for selling 15% of his company or potentially sell the company. So I talked with him about options of me bringing him investors or me connecting him with private equity firms I work with to potentially sell the company. Right before that, I was talking to a the CEO of a major, major media brand like Fortune. It wasn't Fortune, but it was as big as Fortune uh, about how to reinvent their business model to play in the new world economy. Right before that, I was talking to a large M&A firm that did about a billion dollars in deals last year because they are wanting to pay me a lot of money to bring them deal flow. Uh, right after this interview, I have a call with a VC that is from Silicon Valley and on Sand Hill Road that has listened to my podcast every morning. Again, on my podcast, I interview SaaS software CEOs every morning. And I mean, Sean, you know this, I beat the hell out of them. I get revenue numbers, their salary how much equity they own, customer accounts. And so this VC wants me basically to tee up deal flow for him, but he wants to hire me for a lot of money. And I said, no, so he's probably going to propose something else. So, I mean, that's today, but this week is basically open. And then what I'll do is two days during the month, I'll pack my calendar with podcast interviews. So for example, on we're recording this on what's today, January 3rd, and on January 17th, which is a Wednesday, I've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 22 podcast interviews back to back, 15 minutes each. And so I'll knock all those out in a day. But I batch. So the rest of that week is totally free. How exhausted are you after that? I love it. I get energy from it. I was going to say, listen to your podcast. I, for anyone who hasn't, they have to go down and uh, check it out. It's unbelievable. And you were talking about how deep you go on some of these CEOs. I mean, you do not hold back any punches, which is why I think I really loved it. 
I am easily, without a doubt, and I win every time, the most sued podcaster because <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm dead serious. I believe it. I believe it. These big law firms with like the smartest lawyers, they think they're the smartest lawyers. Their CEOs who they represent call on my show. I get all the data. And then the board hears the episode when it goes live and goes, why on earth did you give Nathan all of our <laughs> revenue data and customer account? And so they, they call up their big legal firm. They send me a cease and desist. And sometimes I'll say, listen, pay me 20 grand and I'll settle. I won't release the episode or I'll take it down. So boom, 20 grand free for me. Or sometimes I say, you know what? It was so good. I'm going to publish it twice because <laughs> all every CEO before they come on the show agrees that I have the ability to do whatever I want. The problem is I may be the most charming person you're ever going to meet. And I'm very quick with numbers. I have a very smart brain with numbers and SAS metrics. So I can get these numbers out quickly and it works, but the show's doing well. I'm curious. I mean, is that why you like it? Why do you, why do you call it unbelievable? I mean, because you hold back nothing and you get so much info out of these CEOs and business leaders that no one else ever has. So I just think it's an interesting perspective. You hear a lot of these guys on different podcasts, you hear the exact same thing and then they come on yours. It's completely different. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's true. Like, I mean, I harass John Dumas about this all the time. I go, John, like you ask people what their biggest failure is and they give you some bullshit answer and you move on to your next question. Why not push them? But like his audience is a fluffy duffy audience in kind of the motivational space. They love that stuff. My audience it's like killers, bankers, private equity people, M&A, SaaS CEOs. I mean, killers. They love when I just rip somebody to pieces. I mean, the, the best interviews that I've done, they get, you know, 80, 90, 100,000 listens per episode are the ones where we just go right in for the jugular. And you know what's funny? These CEOs will privately message me and say, I want to come back on. I loved it. It was like, <laughs> it was like a chess match. And when I did, you know, they'll say, I've done interviews with the Wall Street Journal and Fortune and Forbes and Bloomberg. Nobody, nobody was as tough as you and got as much data. So I think it's a big compliment and I take it just like that. Yeah, no, keep it up. It's a great listen. So a few more quick questions before we finish today. Any apps or tools you're using on a daily basis to be more productive? Well, I just, there was one I, I used so much that I bought it. So it's called the topinbox.com. Have you used it? I have not. You have to check it out. Um, the topinbox.com, it basically, it actually, you mentioned part of it earlier, but it helps me send emails later, track opens in my inbox, set auto follow-ups and things like that. So I use that on a daily basis, the topinbox.com. And I also use a tool called etools.io. I can go there and type in any domain name and it will tell me all the emails associated with that domain, which I use to get free press. So I'll type in New York times, I'll get the editor's email, cold email them and boom, before you know it, Nathan Mack is featured in the New York Times. So the top inbox and etools.io. That single tip right there could be the best part of this entire podcast. What has been the most memorable day of your career? Oh, man. Probably when. So our Series A investor is a Forbes billionaire. He created Adderall. So he's worth about $4 billion today. And I went down to his mean mansion, gorgeous mansion. I'll own many of mansions like this one day, but gorgeous <laughs> mansion, uh, visited him in his big marble office and proposed a plan to him to fund me buying Yahoo. You remember Yahoo was for sale before obviously it exited. Now I had no clue what it would be like, right? I mean, I'd be in way over my head, but the process of putting a plan together thinking about what I would do if I owned Yahoo and pitching it to my billionaire investor was fascinating. 
And these kinds of people with billions of dollars, they're only interested in big ideas like that. Most regular humans don't have the ability to do that because they're too worried about how everyone's going to judge them if they fail, if they don't get the acquisition, if the billionaire turns them down. But you have to push yourself like that. And that was, I've never felt more alive than trying to ask this billionaire for hundreds of millions of dollars so I could go buy Yahoo. Wow. Well, Nathan Latka, you definitely took us to the top on this one. How can the listener stay connected with you? The easiest way, and I give out my phone number and everything else, is to go right now since this episode is ending and subscribe to my podcast. It's called The Top Entrepreneurs, a big orange logo on iTunes. Subscribe to me there, and uh, you'll get my phone and everything else. That's the best way to connect with me. Awesome. Nathan, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Sean. As someone who's always looking for ways to improve my mental and physical performance, I started using Four Sigmatic about a year ago, and I love their products. At Four Sigmatic, they believe in the real magic of functional mushrooms like reishi, chaga, cordyceps, and lion's mane, as well as other superfoods and adaptogens to help us live healthier, more enhanced lives. Everyone's talking about Four Sigmatic, including Time Magazine, Vogue, Forbes, even the New York Times. My favorite product is their convenient new brain stick pack. Perfect before a workout or a study session, their dual mushroom blend supports memory attention and brain health. I also have been using their cordyceps before workouts and love the results. I've experienced the benefits of these delicious packets, but now it's time for you too as well. To receive 15% off your order, use discount code WGYT at checkout at foursigmatic.com or by heading to foursigmatic.com forward slash WGYT. If you're looking for a way to stay energized throughout the entire day, grab a bottle of Suniva Super Coffee. Suniva is something I drink on a daily basis. It's an organic bottled coffee blend with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil, which provides me with clean, all-day energy. Head to your local Whole Foods or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. Suniva was founded by three college athletes who are brothers and wanted the cleaner way to stay energized throughout the entire day. Let's face it, we all want to look good in the clothes we wear, but I got tired of sifting through the racks looking for a quality pair of jeans that cost less than $300. Then I found Distilled. DSTLD, pronounced Distilled, offers premium denim and essentials at an affordable price. Their products cost just one-third of what other premium brands charge because Distilled refuses to work with middlemen, bringing savings directly to you. Just go to dstld.com right now and use the promo code JOURNEY10 in all caps at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you. Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.